uh, for a while there, I thought I, when he started going, the Reverend Doctor, I said, he's, he's become a Nigerian, no doubt. Because <laughs> in Nigeria, we have to get all the titles in place. I mean, it's Bishop, Archbishop, Doctor, Reverend, Professor, Pastor, all of it before you say the name. It's got to be complete. Let us get to see you, your friend. Oh, wonderful. We thank God. And uh, we had uh, a great time uh, in my home when we were having church. There's that living room. It's a good place. So uh, the, the people were so far up, so close to me while I was preaching. You, you can spit? <laughs> you can spit if you want. And you, you dare not talk in church because everybody will hear, you know. It's too small. And uh, some of those days, uh, Angel and I would get up. Uh, we had, uh, we'll get up in the morning real early. And Angel and I, well, we wonder how we were able to do it. We had this huge, no flat screen television, but huge, really big television, heavy. But because of the excitement, we, we were not aware of how heavy. But when we were moving in recent times, Angela, how did we move this thing? <laughs> but we move everything out, the couch, everything, we put it in the garage. And then we arrange the blue chair, uh, chairs we had before. We arrange everything. Put, no, we, well, we don't think we'll have enough this Sunday. So we put it just in the, uh, you know, the first floor and everything. And then a lot of people will show up. And we start looking for chairs and putting them all the balcony. And Angela and I were high five. Boy, the Lord is moving. It's really great. It's wonderful. Look at how many people came in. And then we came. We couldn't. We were having just Sunday service. We couldn't wait till the next Sunday to see how many would come. And we'll fill the place with chairs and the balcony. <laughs> and boy, when they show up, we can't even fill the first floor. I mean, it's. Oh Lord, Angelus, is, how, is, how are we going to do this thing? <laughs> but God was gracious to us, and by the grace of God, He has brought you to be with us, and uh, He was preparing you to be part of this uh, fellowship so that we can reach the world for Christ. I'm so grateful to God for the quality of men and women that I have to work with in this church. Thank God for Pastor Wendy and Irina. I'm so grateful for them. They are such wonderful people. Wonderful, wonderful people. I'm so grateful to God. Grateful to God for uh, Ines and Rose. They were there together from the very beginning, walking. These guys really worked hard. Uh, today, I'm so grateful for Pastor Wes and Christy. And uh, this was lovely people. I believe you guys are God sent to us, and we love you guys for everything that you do for our kids, and of course, Al and uh, Shirley back there, and just walking. And uh, then we have Teresa back in the boot. It's good for her to be in the boot, um, so I can have a little peace. I have two bosses in this church, Irina and Teresa. This get me straight. <laughs> But, but my main, my main boss is at home. <laughs> thank you, Angela, for everything. I really want to thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you for everything. Appreciate it. Thank you. Uh, my friend Daniel Bernard uh, visited here when we were a few years after we started. And... Um, he had known us. In fact, Bernard was my best man when we got married in Nigeria. And uh, he watched my wife, you know, walk with people and everything. And he said, you know, good luck. If somebody had told me Angela would be able to do this, I would have said, no, no way. He said, she's truly a pastor's wife. She knows what to do. And I'm very grateful to God for Angela. Thank you so much. And for the kids also. They cooperate very well. <laughs> <laughs> thank you Omar thank you Omar and Grace Grace is over walking back, walking back there Grace was really little she slept during services in those days 
But I have a message this morning, and I want to go to the message. Thank you, Father. We thank you, Holy Spirit. Thank you for your Thank you for everything that you do for us. Thank you, Jesus. We love you. Spirit of God, move this morning among us and share with us your heart. Give us the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of you that the eyes of our understanding be enlightened, that we might know the hope of our calling. In Jesus' name, amen. We have a real little visitor this morning. Yeah. Ooh, Kathy and Michael are grandparents again. <laughs> Can we see this baby? Yes. Come on, Kathy. Ooh. Hallelujah. Boy. Wonderful. I can carry the baby. <laughs> My goodness. Look at that hair. Could you loan me a little bit of it? Oh, wonderful. He's smiling at me. I'm great. This is the best day. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. We praise you. Hallelujah. Amen. <laughs> we love Mike and Kathy and their children. If your guests are special, we love you. The resurrection, I titled this message, The Resurrection Benefit. Resurrection Benefit. He is risen. He is risen for us. For us. What do we get out of it? How important it is, is it for us? Jesus is risen for, from the dead. He is alive, not for himself, but for us. I've got to get something out of it. This was a great event. It was an unusual event. It's never happened before. A man died and is risen from the dead for us. There's got to be a purpose. What do I get out of this? He didn't do it for himself. He did it for us. What do we get out of his resurrection? We cannot talk of Jesus' resurrection without talking about the day he died. The day we refer to as Good Friday. But in the natural, especially for those who believed in him, that was a very sad day. Very sad for them. They had built all their future around this one man. He was so great. Sure of everything. Walked with so much dignity and power, majesty. They looked up to him. They were building their future on him. They hoped this is it. God, you have sent us the Messiah. This is the one. They didn't think he'll die. If you read in John chapter 7, the whole country, the whole country was Talking about just this one man in the land. Jesus of Nazareth. In John chapter 7, Jesus, Jesus' brothers went to him and they said, Are you not going to the feast? And Jesus said, I'm not going yet. It's not time. It's always your time. You can go wherever. But for me, I have a set time. It's not yet my time. I'll go back. They left and got there. The brothers got there. The whole Jerusalem was talking about Jesus. Where is he? Is he going to be here? Everyone was talking about him. They came for the feast, for the feast, but the real issue was Jesus of Nazareth. And as they talked, Jesus in the midst showed up and started speaking. And was speaking boldly. And the people said, Wow. Does it mean that our real our rulers have really recognized? That this man is the Christ? Is, is, is this not the one that they were planning to kill? 
They knew about it. They were planning to kill him. But here he is speaking boldly before everyone and no one is saying anything to him. Have they now accepted that this is truly the Christ? But we know where this man is from. But when the Christ comes, the Christ comes, we won't know where he's from, they said. So whether you liked him or you didn't like him, they were focused on Jesus. Now, I'm saying this for you to imagine the day he died. Everyone was talking about it. It was another feast time. The proselytes and the Jews that had gone out, they were all coming back to Jerusalem. And everybody was talking about Jesus. Can you imagine? Everyone was talking about him. And then all of a sudden, he's been taken. I'm sure at dinner table, daddy and mommy talking about this Jesus that had been taken. What's going to happen to him? Sometimes we read scriptures and we just go back. We don't think about what's going on. There were people just like us. And on the day Jesus died, everyone, the Bible tells us, Luke tells us, a multitude went with him to the place where he was crucified. There was a large number of people. Now you've had it here when somebody that is well known around the world died. Whether you like him or not, you're focused on it, right? Everybody's talking about it. And if, if whether you like it, everybody's concerned. What's going to happen? If you mean he's really dead? Greater than that. Everyone was talking. And they were there to see him die. And the disciples were heartbroken. Seeing him on the cross, this powerful being that raised up Lazarus from the dead. After he's been dead for four days, he's hanging helpless. Their dreams were shattered. It wasn't a good day for them. We call it Good Friday. It was a terrible day for them. It was a terrible Friday. I mean, there was no ter- more terrible f- uh, Friday than that Friday in their life, as far as they were concerned. In the natural. In the natural. That's all they knew. They were so sad. As far as they were concerned, all hope lost. This is it. We're finished. The Bible tells us in Luke chapter 24. This was on Sunday now. Jesus died on Friday. Just to to let you know how, how they were feeling. He said, the disciples too, they were going into Emmaus, which is about seven miles from Jerusalem. And he said, Jesus actually met them. He, he had just got up from the dead. And they were going and they were talking with one another. Two of them, Cleopas was one. And then another disciple. And Jesus joined them as they were walking towards the marriage. They were really sad. And Jesus said, what kind of conversation is this that you have with one another as you walk and are sad? They were sad. And this is what they said. But we were hoping that it was he. They told Jesus, I, they told the man, Jesus, are you a stranger? The only stranger in Jerusalem. And you've not heard what's happened there in recent times. The only stranger that haven't heard. And they talked about Jesus of Nazareth. A man, a man that was mighty in word and in deed. And how the rulers have crucified him. And they added, verse 21, But we were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. Indeed, beside all this, today is the third day since these things have happened. So even after two days, they were still very sad about what had happened. Jesus was crucified very close to the city. So everyone, if you were interested, you could walk up to Golgotha or Calvary. And watch what was happening. So a multitude was there. Many people went to see him die. And in John chapter 19, the Bible tells us what happened there. It says, and he, bearing his cross, that Jesus went out to a place called the place of Ascol, which is called in Hebrew Golgotha, where they crucified him and two others with him. One on either side and Jesus in the center. 
Now Pilate wrote a title and put it on the cross. Jesus was crucified and placed in the center of two individuals. Jesus is always in the center of every life. Jesus is right now in the center of your life. You can turn to him and remember you're dying if you don't know him. You can turn to him and have life. You can turn against him and die. He is always in the center of everything that happens in the universe. Jesus is the center of it. If you turn to him, you have life. If you turn away from him, you die. And we're not talking about physical death. We're talking about spiritual death. But thank God we have turned to him. Can I hear an amen? amen? We turn to him. But look at what the Bible says. That Pilate wrote a title and put it on the cross. That is the title, the king of the Jews. And Jesus' enemies didn't like that title. They went to Pilate and they said, we want that change. We want a change to read, he said he is the king of the Jews. Pilate said, no, what I have written, I have written. And the writing, John calls it title, was actually written in Hebrew, in Greek, and Latin. Those were the known languages at that point. And what the message is, Jesus was dying on the cross for everyone. Amen? Not just the Jews. For everyone. Everyone everyone that came into Jerusalem, they could read as they went by, he was the king of the Jews. For everyone he died. Every tribe, every family. Your family, the Bible says when we come to before the throne and before the Lamb, Every family is going to be represented. Message. Don't just discount your family members that are not getting saved. They are part of it. They could be saved. They are part of it. But God has a way of doing things. He will use his enemies to proclaim his message and his purpose. And to proclaim his son. In this case, he used... To share to the world, this is the king of the Jews. That was a wicked man, Pilate. In the Old Testament, he also used Balaam. Balaam didn't want, if Balaam had been hired to curse the children of Israel, but God would not let him curse the children of Israel. And Balaam said, I see a king among them. There is a king among them. He was speaking about Jesus. Caiaphas was another one. He said, don't you all realize that one man ought to die so that the whole nation won't be wasted? He was talking about Christ. Jesus died so that we can live. God used this individual to put out that message. But on the day he died, that was a tough day for the disciple. They felt really hopeless. The point is, In your life, if you have connected with Christ and things get dark in your life, what the disciples didn't realize at the darkest moment of their lives, Jesus was working out total freedom for them. They didn't know it. Total freedom for all the ages. It was a dark day. The sun was even rebelled. I'm not going to give my light. Read the scripture. For three hours, the sun will not give its light. The, the whole universe was not happy about what was happening on that day. Everything was dark. The Bible says the ro- rocks rent. And there were people that came out of the grave. But the disciples, they were very sad. When it's really dark in your life, At that point, always remind yourself that if God is in your life, He is doing a great work that you don't even know anything about. 
If you are feeling like God has abandoned you and you're feeling so low, so depressed, and you have been praying, you're connected with Christ, believe me, there's crying in the night, but joy comes in the morning. They were in their dark thrones, in their hearts, really hurting about Jesus dying. It was dark to them, but as far as God was concerned, God was preparing something behind the scene that will give them total freedom and give them the abundant life that they had always craved for. They didn't know it. He paid the price for every one of us. The happiest being on that day can you guess? Was Satan? Satan was me. He couldn't help himself. It was the happiest day of his life. <laughs> his miserable life. Because he knew from what God said in the garden that the seed of the woman will bruise your head. He knew that. But he had no understanding. He thought his pain was just to kill. You know why he killed Jesus? Knowing that this could be a problem for him. Jesus tells us in John chapter 8, he was a murderer. From the beginning, he was a murderer. He can't help himself. He's got to kill this man. To him was trouble. So that day was a great day for him. He was happy. And the host of darkness... They were all in glee, just rejoicing after the death, because of the death of Christ. But their joy did not last for very long. They made a serious mistake. They only realized this the next day. Satan realized, this is not going to go well for me. There is, it was stupid to, to have rejoiced over this. I am going to lose everything when this is over. Because he was reminded. He had forgotten. You know, he knows, he knows scripture. He had forgotten that Jesus said he was going to rise the third day. And all of a sudden, after the first day and Jesus was in, down deep in the earth, the enemy realized this is real trouble for me. I am about to lose all of mankind. He had gained them and had gained authority. When Adam sinned in the garden, he gained so much authority. He told Jesus in Luke chapter 4, he said, if you bow down and you worship me, I will give you everything. All of this stuff, the glory and all have been delivered to me. And to whomever I will, I can give it to. Just worship me. Jesus said no. Now he knew he was about to lose everything. You know how I know that? Read with me in Matthew. Chapter 27. Verse 62 and 63. On the next day. That's the day after Jesus died. The next day. Which followed the day of preparation. So this must be the Sabbath day, right? Saturday. The chief priests and Pharisees gathered together to Pilate, saying, Sir, we remember. See, all of a sudden they remember. Guess who was behind them remembering? The devil. They said, we remember while he, that Jesus was still alive, how that he, the deceiver said, after three days I will rise. Why were they concerned? They knew now there's a chance he's going to rise from the dead. So what are we going to do? So they were doing, I mean, the devil, I'll use everything that's available to me. I'll use people and we're going to go and just seal the tomb and make sure that he, he doesn't come out of the grave. Why am I saying this? The resurrection of Christ means a lot. May God give us understanding. May God give us true understanding. There is no other religion where you have a man, the leader, die and is back again to life. This was big deal for the kingdom of darkness. They were truly scared because of what was going to happen 
to them and what was going to happen to us who have been held captive by them before Jesus came. We're talking about resurrection benefits. They were really worried. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, or is this 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 8, I believe 1 Corinthians, which none of the rulers of this age knew, for had they known, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. <laughs> they didn't know. Ephesians chapter 6, it says that we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age. The rulers of this age, spiritual forces. If they had known what the result would have been, been, they wouldn't have killed him. That's what they're saying. Satan was really, really concerned. Jesus rose from the dead. One thing that you need to know is this. The disciples in the early days never tried to prove that Jesus was risen from the dead. It was a known fact. Amen? They never tried to prove it. You can tell by the way they discussed with the rulers when there was problem. Peter would tell them, you crucified the prince of life. You remember that? But God raised him from the dead. And we are his witnesses. They, don't, they never said to them, it's a lie. We'll show you his body. We're going to bring his body out for you. They never argued. All they were concerned, don't tell anybody or preach in this name. That was all they were concerned about. Don't tell anyone about Jesus rising from the dead. So, the resurrection of Jesus Christ of Nazareth is a fact. Jesus rose from the dead. At least 500 people, according to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, saw him as he ascended into heaven. The day that Jesus rose from the dead was a unique day. The ladies, if you go through all of the stories, the ladies went there first. And they saw that the gravestone had been removed from the door. And then they saw a vision of an angel telling them, because Luke tells us an angel came from heaven. His countenance was like lightning. And the guards, they were so frightened. And that angel rolled the stone off from the door and sat on it. Not to release Christ, <laughs> but to show his power. And the guards, they were like dead men, frightened to death. And the, angels told, the angel told them, he's, you're looking for the living among the dead. He's not here. He's, he's gone. tell them he's gone. But when they went back to the disciples... They said they are stories for like tales to them, just stories. <laughs> no serious. This can't be. And you know how we heard, and it happens to every one of us. That's, this is what I think is happening here. The disciples refused to believe it. And then you start wondering, did I really see an angel or was I was sleeping? <laughs> was this real? Were we deceiving ourselves? So the ladies, I believe, they went back. You know, Mary Madeline went back. Trying to verify what, what really happened here. And the disciples also ran to look at it. But think about it. I started by saying the whole Jerusalem knew when Jesus was crucified. Right? Now the word is out. He must be risen from the dead. So what do you think is going to happen? If I lived in Jerusalem, I want to see it myself. Right? I believe that multitude went to that grave that Pastor West talked about. They went. They were pouring out from everywhere in the country. The word was going out from place to place. You can't believe what we heard. You can't believe what we heard. He's back alive, they said. Have you seen him? No. But some of them said they have seen him, right? Everyone was talking about it. They were sad the first day, but now 
Everyone is concerned and they have to see. I believe that thousands of people went to that graveside to look at the empty tomb. And they're wondering, like they did in John chapter 7. Is he going to be in the feast? Is it that our rulers have accepted that this is truly the Christ? And I'm sure if you are you know, part of that country, you're wondering, what are the leaders going to do about this? What are the rulers? Are they going to try to disprove it, bring his body out? That's what I'll be thinking. You rulers, do something about this. Is this true or not? Give us some word. Everybody was quiet. Amen? So, the disciples never tried to prove that Jesus is risen from the dead. But, now that we know that Jesus is risen from the dead, what do we benefit from this? What did Jesus actually do for us? Colossians chapter 2 verse 15 tells us this. Having disarmed principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over it. Basically, he paralyzed the power of Satan. Satan has no power at all over any human being. If you don't make the right decision, Satan will have power over your life. But once you make the right decision to be with Christ, no matter what, Satan has no power over your life. Jesus disarmed the enemy. Now, not just just once and he's got to come back totally forever, Satan has no power, no authority over any human. He disarmed him. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14 and 15. It says, Inasmuch then as the children have partaken of flesh and blood, he himself likewise shared in the same, that through death he, Jesus, might destroy him who had the power of death, that is the devil, and release those who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. The main thing was to destroy him who has power of death. Death to everything that God is giving life to. Death to your health. To your family. I always believe that sickness is a messenger of Satan, a messenger of death. Because if sickness lashes on you and holds on to you, unless God delivers you or, or God uses the doctors, even if it's, if it's a simple headache, if the doctors can't do anything about it, if God doesn't do anything about it, that simple headache will destroy you. Sickness is a messenger of death. And Jesus destroyed the one who has the power of death. And he's freed us from his domain. He's translated us, those who believe in him, he has taken us totally from Satan's influence. The dominion of Satan, he's translated us through his resurrection. He's transformed us, translated us into the kingdom of his dear son. So we are no longer under the influence of Satan. We are now under the influence of heaven in your life. If the enemy has any influence on your life, it's because you gave it to him, because you have no knowledge, no understanding, so he can have influence over your life. But as far as heaven is concerned, as far as God is concerned, Satan totally lost his power over your life. You don't have to die young. You don't have, you can't die young. But you don't, not anymore. He destroyed the one who has power over death. Simple. Simple. To me, that's great revelation. 
I pray that God give us revelation. I don't have to die. You know, you heard me say, and it's for you also. Please, I want you to accept it. That's why I say it. No, I'm not going to be dying out here. You heard me say that by some kind of accident, right? That's for you. You are a child of God. Jesus paralyzed the one who has the power over death. He doesn't have power over your life anymore. And God has said, the number of your days he will fulfill. Who is going to go against that? What sickness can go against that? What cancer can go against that? Think about it. This is God Almighty. Who's what? Cancer will go around it and destroy what God intended to live forever or to live a long life on the earth. His only influence on your life is what you gave him because of lack of knowledge or you were not willing to accept. You have faith. Amen. You have faith because you believe in Jesus. Two cannot walk together unless they be in agreement. He destroyed, he paralyzed. Let's read that again. He in as much then as the children. You see, that's you and I. That was God Almighty before he came. In the natural, the disciples felt like everything had gone. But God gave them, was giving them hope in the spirit realm. And if you are human, he took what you have, flesh, just like you. He identified with you. Because you are special to him. The greatest of all his creation. No other being was created in the image of God. You are special to him. That's how special. Jesus said, I'm going to have flesh just like them. So I can destroy what is destroying them from within. I'll do that for them. I'll die that death for them. So that they don't have to die anymore. For your children also. You can believe when you go to sleep, you, you rest. Because God has dispatched angels to make sure his word doesn't fall to the ground. They won't die in some kind of an accident. He said, yes, I know. I know of this pastor that his son died in this accident. Yeah, that's your problem. Because you are going by what people say and as people's experiences, instead of staying with what God says in his word. You judge people's experience greater than the book. Inasmuch then as the children have partaken of flesh and blood, he himself likewise shared in the same. He was one of us. Oh, when you think about Jesus rose from the dead and appeared to them. They were frightened when they appeared. The, the folks that came from Emmaus, they talked with him and he talked with them. And as soon as he broke the bread, they recognized him. They went back to their fellows and they said, he is risen indeed. While they were saying it, Jesus took the words from their mouth. He, he appeared before them. And they were all scared. And he says, don't be afraid. Die. He said, a spirit doesn't have flesh. This was after he rose from the dead. He said, a spirit doesn't have flesh and bone. But before he became man, he didn't have flesh and bones, right? So right now, we have a man, a real man, with bones and flesh, sitting with God in heaven. Hallelujah! Hallelujah! A real man sitting there. And he's your friend. Amen? He's your best friend. Who have you to worry? Why? He's your best friend. He's seated with the Godhead right there. Flesh. Jesus said, handle me. Hey, you got fish? Let me eat some. Spirits don't eat. Have you seen a spirit eating? I'll take off from that room real fast. He says, spirits don't eat food. Give me some food. And he ate with them. That was after he rose from the dead. Trying to convince them, convince you and I. I'm on your side. It's over now. You don't have to worry about anything anymore. I'm back alive again. I'll take care of you. Don't worry about anything. I'm going to be with you. Amen. Amen. He took flesh and blood. And through death, he that through death he might destroy him who had the power of death. That is the devil. So the devil is not going to be destroyed. He's already been destroyed. 
Can you rejoice over that? I hear Christians always talking, the devil this, the devil this. Why are you giving glory to the devil? The devil, he, I mean, he was destroyed once and for all. Huh? He has no weapon anymore. When he shows up, take, pull out your shotgun and point it at him. He's, he has nothing. That's the word of God. Amen. The next thing he does is he'll do this. <laughs> That's what Satan does. He has no weapon. Sometimes he comes at you with a toy gun. And you have a real gun and you're afraid. Go get your shotgun and point it at him and watch him do this. Okay. That's the word of God. Speak it to him. That's the weapon. He has been paralyzed. He cannot destroy your life. He can't destroy your children's life. He can't destroy you with sickness and disease. We have to believe these things. That's the benefit of his resurrection. We have to believe this thing. It was because he rose that uh, Psalm 103 became a living reality. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul. And all that is within me, bless his holy name. A living reality because Jesus is risen from the dead. Who forgives all my iniquities, all of them. He forgives all of my iniquities. Who heals some of my diseases? No, all of my diseases. All of them, all of them. God cannot lie to us. Amen. Yes, the symptoms can come on you. And you feel the symptoms. That's the fact. You can't deny it. You go to the doctors, they will show you the bugs. They will show you the, the, the microbes that are causing the problem. But what I tell myself and what I want to tell you this morning, even though they show you the microbes, don't believe in the microbes. Because when, Pharaoh, when Moses threw his rod on the ground, he became what? He became a snake. And Pharaoh's magicians did exactly the same thing, right? They were able to produce uh, real life snakes, right? So those bugs don't bother me. My rod will swallow up their bugs. Amen. Amen. I don't have to worry about what the doctors say. He, he paralyzed the power of the enemy. And the main thing was to take the power of death out of Satan's hand. That's the main thing. I like this scripture. Revelation chapter 1. Read this. It's, it's so powerful. When Jesus appeared before John. Okay. In Revelation. And John heard this sound coming from the man that he really knew and loved. But he was in the same kind of person. He said he looked like the son of man. Amen. <laughs> he was scared. This great voice. And he said when he heard his voice. And he saw him, the one that looked, he says, I fell at his feet as dead. <laughs> it's over. Never seen anything like this. He says, but he, that's the son of God, and he's doing the same thing to you this morning. He laid his right hand on me. Oh, I love that. Because God says, I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. I will always do that for you. He laid his right hand on him. And he said to him, do not be afraid. Can you hear his voice this morning? He says, don't be afraid. No matter what's happening in your life, you don't have any reason to be afraid. God is with you. Yes, you may have wandered away from him. But why don't you just adjust a little bit inside of you this morning and say, I'm, I'm coming closer to you, God. Draw nigh to God and he will what? Yes, exactly. He'll draw nigh to you. He said, do not be afraid. I am the first. I am the last. I am he who lives and was dead. And behold, I live forever. Amen. And then look at what he added. And I have the keys of heads, that's hell, and death. That's what happened when Jesus died and went down. He went to the enemy. <laughs> he said, I knew he was in trouble. You're finished. Give me them keys. Amen? Give me them keys. 
That's what you've used to confuse the world and cause so much trouble and all these troubles. Give me them. Oh, that was such a sad day for Satan. He lost everything. He lost every authority he had. My master has the keys of death. You know what? If that key opened, when it's opened, you're gone. Amen? When it's closed, you can't go. I never understood this, but God, as he gives revelation, I never understood why Paul was writing to the disciples in in Corinth. He said, well, uh, I have a desire to be with the Lord. That's good for me. But I also have another desire. You need me. I need to be with you. He said, I'm in a strait. Having this serious struggle in me. I want to go because it's really much better for me because I will be with the Lord and nobody's going to persecute me anymore. Okay, it's going to be okay. But I know you need me. And he's talking about dying. And he said, okay, now because you need me, I'm going to be with you. It's okay. I'll stay with you for some time. And then when he was over, he was ready to go. He said, I fought a good fight. I finished my course. I finished the race. I'm ready to go. A man, just like you and I, determining when he was ready to go and when he was not ready to go. Why? Because Jesus has the keys of hell and death. That's what it is. Sounds too far-fetched for us. This is the scriptures. That's why I want us to believe. We can declare we don't want any death in our mongers. And it won't happen. And the church, this church has done it before. Where we declare one year, nobody's going to die. And there was only pers- one person that was ready to go home. Papa Smith. And I love that man till tomorrow. <laughs> what a wonderful man of God. Oh, it was a beauty to have a man. I feel so honored to have a man like that in our church. Amen. Quoting scriptures. When I started, he finished it up for me. Yes. I'm reading and he's quoting. And he's 92 years old. I said, God, you, have, you honored me by bringing this man to me. And Papa Smith, he was, he was tired. He wanted to go home. So I begged some people, please, it's kind of bribery. Tell Papa Smith, he's, he's no time. Uh, <clears throat> excuse me. Make him pray for people at the altar so he still feels he has some job to do. Remember, I made him to pray for people at the altar. So because if he decides to go, he, he's going to die. He'll go. So I have to uh, use some godly wisdom to keep him here for that year because we had declared no one is going to die for that year. And Papa Smith said, I want to go home. So we had to bribe him. <laughs> Amen. We made him pray for people, the sick at the altar. So he stayed with us throughout that year quoting scriptures. I said, please tell him we don't want him, not this year. We have decided no one is going to die at the ark. Amen? We had instances. But you see, God honored it, right? There was not a single death that year. We had one, two years in a row. One, the same month. Remember that? Two years in a row. And uh, I told my wife, I said, this is not good. <laughs> they are always dying the same month. I mean, it's natural, okay? It's natural. They're going home to be with Jesus. No big deal. But for me, it don't look good. I don't like it. If I know that the same thing happened the following year, people will start leaving the church when that March comes. They say, we're gay. Amen. <laughs> One of us is going to go. He has the keys of hell and death. Amen. We don't have to be afraid of anything. You're not going to be dying by a plane crash. When people died in plane crash, there were Christians that testified something told them not to go. You read about those? On the day they had the uh, 9-11. Some people refused to go to work or something happened. They went somewhere else and didn't go to work. Christians, they were praying. Somehow God prevented them from going there. But there were some Christians that died as well. I don't fault any, I don't know. I just want to follow what I see in the word. Amen? I want you to follow what you see in the word. Because God is not a liar. He remains ever true. God is the one that causes us to triumph in him daily. 
He causes us to triumph. He is in your life today. If you know Jesus, you are not ordinary. Don't accept ordinary. Don't look at your circumstances today. There are late bloomers. Amen? You may be one of those. Don't give up. Don't give up on anything that's good. He came so that we might have life and have it more abundantly. That's yours. Change your mind today that you will live. Amen? Change your mind today you want to draw closer to him. Because Jesus is alive. He's your greatest friend. He's your best friend. Yes, tragedies come your way. That's in the past. Look to your future. It's going to be great. Amen? Because Jesus is in your life. It's well. I'd like to remind you of Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. If you find yourself in a place like that, don't think on it. He is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we can ask or even imagine. So imagine yourself enjoying plenty, even if you are in that situation right now. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. You can turn which way you want. It's still green. He leads you in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And even though you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you have no reason to be afraid. The risen Christ is with you. He is with you. His word, his gentle nodding will put you in the paths of righteousness. And he'll prepare a table before you in the presence of your enemies. And he will allow goodness and mercy to follow you all, not some, all the days. Can you say that? All the days of my life. If you are still sad after the service this morning, (coughs) you have little understanding. You have not accepted the truth. It's time to rejoice. When Jesus rose, he said, Hail. In other words, rejoice. Your troubles are Stand with me this morning. Mm. Thank you, God. He will never forsake you. Never. The thing is to commit to him. That's all we want to do. If you want to commit to Christ this morning, would you raise your hand to him totally? You want to commit totally? Raise your hands to the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Raise your hand. Just worship him. Worship the Lord. Thank you, Jesus.